listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show the absolutely amazing ball of energy, Tina Tower. And in this episode today, Tina and I are talking about the business that she built and then ultimately sold, that she built from the ground up, that she then turned into a licensed business and then moved to a franchised business. So we talk here all about the differences between licensing and franchising. We talk about the myths versus the realities. It's really a warts and all perspective. And whilst we reflect on many of the positives, we also look at some of the realities and some of the issues that if you're looking at franchising or licensing, you need to go in with understanding so that your eyes are wide open to the realities of running each of these different types of approaches to business. And if you really love this episode just as much as I did, then you'll want to also hear the second part of the episode where Tina talks about how she ultimately exited the business and all of the lessons that she learned along the way in the exit. Now, for that, you will have to head over to Talking Law's sister podcast, The Deal Room. You'll find a link in the show notes to this podcast across two the deal room and this episode with Tina Tower, where you'll hear all about the second part of the story where Tina exited the business and all of the things that she learnt along the way in that exit. But for now, we are talking particularly about how she grew the business through licensing and then through franchising. So buckle in, here we go with our discussion with Tina. Tina, I just want to say a massive thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Joanna. It's fantastic to be here. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic to have you. All right. I just love your energy. I'm a really high energy person, so um, yes. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with two high energy people mm-hmm. on both sides. It's fun. Could just end up in some <laughs> <laughs> massive explosion of ideas and excitement. Yeah. But anyway, let's see where it goes. So, Tina... I I guess there's a number of things that I really wanted to talk to you about today. Um, And I heard you talking about the story of how you you started and then grew your business and then franchised it and then ultimately sold it and and then moved on to a new career now. Um, And I just thought there's so many relevant aspects for our listeners. And um, so maybe if we start right at the beginning, Tina, what was your very first business? My first business was pretty much the one that I ended up, I mean, different iteration, but the one that I ended up selling, it was, I started in my second year of primary teaching doing a tutoring center. Mm. And so I did tutoring center, educational toy store, birthday party place, and it kind of grew from there. I had no grand plans when I 
started. It was just to pay my way through uni. <laughs> I love it. So it started as a tutoring centre. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. And this is something, in fact, that I'm seeing lots of um, new tutoring businesses um, mm. pop up everywhere now because, you, you know, just in the middle of coming out of COVID, yeah. there's a lot of interesting virtual approaches to tutoring. Yes. So but so you started from the tutoring centre and where did it move to from there and how oh. did it move? Yeah, so um, how did it move? I mean, it was 16 years ago so mm. that I started. So I was in that business for a very long time. I started when I was 20, mm. um, thought I knew everything and knew nothing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that. I was a pretty switched on girl. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'd been to Tony Robbins. I was all pepped up and ready to go. Uh, so I started that. And initially when I went to rent my first place, so I didn't start like a lot of people start tutoring businesses and go and, you know, trial it out in people's homes and that sort of thing. I went the full hog straight up and rented 120 square meter um, premises wow. and then figured I couldn't make enough money just with the tutoring straight away. So I halved it and did the front half as an educational toy store. Mm. And that was just supposed to be a little bit, and that ended up being quite a large part of the business. But then I had, I did everything quite young. I, I got married when I was 21. I had my first baby uh, when I was 24 and another one at 25. And then obviously couldn't run the business in the same way. Mm. So it morphed and grew from there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. And so then at some point you decided that you would look at franchising. Yeah. Business. Is that right? Yeah. So there was a step in between um, of licensing. So I mm. licensed first for a couple of years. Uh, so I opened multiple locations myself. So I had three uh, different locations going. Uh, and then I had other people wanting to do it and I didn't want to keep all three locations going myself. But I found I was being split like spread so thin and I couldn't find people that would have that same level of love and care as a manager. Mm. And then someone told me about franchising and I was like, I'm not ready for that. It just seems so all in. So I did a license first mm. and so we sold the licenses all around the country. And then a couple of years in a lot of, because everyone that bought my licenses were teachers and they were so good at the educational side, but a lot of them had no experience in business. And so they were looking at my centers and going, okay, you need to show me the business side. So yeah. that's why in 2011, we converted from a license to a franchise. And can you talk about that process? Because I think this is the, the uh, concept of licensing and the concept yeah. of franchising is something that many business owners think yes. about. And actually, I know quite a few business owners that have tried um, both. Mm. I, I, one, obviously, um, the franchising side involves Harder. a lot more <laughs> yes. a lot more legal yes a lot more legal a lot of a mm -hmm. lot more attention a lot more yes um, you know than than the licensing side but let's just talk just briefly about the two sides why is it that mm. you move from licensing to well you talked about the the need of your licensees yeah. yeah um but what what else what were the main differences for you yeah like, i don't know the answer but just for yeah, the benefit totally. of our listeners. well i was trying to do the license first up because i was looking for a way to scale and expand the easy way mm. <laughs> so mm. i didn't want to go through all of the hard stuff of franchising mm. which is 
you know, it's a tough game to play. Mm. Um, but there's, so there's massive upsides in it, but there was also big downsides in that I could, so we wrote curriculum and then I could license the curriculum so that everyone could use that, but it could be um, Joanna's tutoring using the Begin Bright program, which is what it was. And so the brand was just diluted mm. everywhere. And mm. so by changing to a franchise, instead of it being people's independent, independent companies just using our curriculum, they then became all-encompassing Begin Bright centres, which meant we really had the power of, of the brand and the marketing and the business processes and the training and the uniforms and all of the materials and, and everything that comes with that. So the positives definitely uh, were there in terms of growth and in terms of being able to harness that collective power to grow mm. Uh, mm. but then obviously you've got all the downsides of legal compliance mm. and costs mm. and locking people into contracts that they just can't get out of or that you can't get out of mm. <laughs> if you don't want to keep them either yeah. um, and so yeah it's a minefield mm. and so reflecting back and how long did you run the business as a franchise as a franchise I lasted what did I last and I say lasted because yeah I was going to, I was going to ask you about that that was an interesting yeah. choice of terminology yes, how long did I last um, <laughs> because when I decided and I've always been very um oh well researched like I make decisions quick and fast but I still am pretty thorough with how mm. I do it so mm. when I decided I wanted to franchise I looked up the Franchise Council of Australia and I called every single franchisor in the country of which is about 1100 of them and so I got on to about 200 of them re returned my call and I went and met with like 30 of them You're and kidding. one guy who was awesome source pretty much like stood up at his desk and leaned over and was like, Tina, from what I know of you, this is not for you. You oh, seem no. lovely and you do not have the conviction or the backbone to make this happen. They will crush you. And he gave me like this big speech and I was like, oh, dude, do not be fooled by my happy bubbly exterior. <laughs> I have a backbone of freaking steel. Anyway, it turns out he was a bit right um, because it did. It, it really crushed me. Um, and in the end, it was kind of like I had these grand plans and visions for the franchise that we wanted to get to 100 centres um, all over Australia and then we were going to start franchising throughout the world and it was going to be global domination and it was just going to be the most amazing thing ever. Um, but the bigger it got and for the first like 10 to 15 sites it was a dream it was just the most fun I have ever had and then once we got kind of over 20 and different silos started breaking off and different issues started mm. coming in that we hadn't experienced before and then I got a couple of people that were just awful mm. <laughs> and we really screened everyone so thoroughly but you just don't know no. um, and they killed my life like totally, they killed your life. Wow, that totally sucked the joy out of the day um, constantly and nothing I could do could kind of change that to the point where I got to it and I went, you know what, I've got 35 was, was what I got to. I was like, if I get my dream, my dream does come true and I have 100 franchises, oh, my God, I mm. might die. <laughs> mm, mm. Like this is not the life I wanted to lead. And so it was a big shift for me because I'm very goal-orientated and very driven and very um, like crystal clear in the vision that I have for things. And so for me, one of the biggest adjustments was actually admitting defeat and going, 
you know, quitting is actually the best decision that I can make right now. Mm. Um, and so we sold it in 2016. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I, that's an interesting comment because I think, um, you know, I recognize this in entrepreneurs, yeah. this never say, you know, never, never give up, give up yes. you yes. know, and, um, and in many instances, the most powerful call is to work out yes. what really works for you and what totally. doesn't and be able to yeah. let go, yeah. um, which is is fascinating, isn't it? it? Is. You know, that, yeah. that's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, through going through, so I was in franchising for what was it altogether? It was um, like six years and... Yeah, so it's the 13th year of the business and six years of franchising. And I think franchising taught me more about human psychology and my own psychology than anything I could ever do ever. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. wow. And so let's just really quickly have a look at those yeah. myths versus realities of yeah. franchising. So yeah. what can, can you throw to me some myths that you had about yeah. franchising that turned out or those, some of those ideas you had about fr- franchising that turned out not to meet reality ultimately? Yes. Um, I think probably one of my biggest ones was, um, you know, that people were all coming together and that we could harness that collective and together we all rise. And there was one conference in particular that was only like, I think it was the third, third year that we had it. And we, we did a marketing fund. So in the marketing fund in franchising, everyone contributed and our contribution was low. It was like $200 a month, Mm. Um, but everyone put it in and then we could pull all the money and then market en masse. So you had better, better reach kind of thing. So I was so psyched for this conference and what I was going to present and we'd like arranged it all. And I was, I actually was so crazily naive that I never even entertained the idea that everyone wouldn't be as excited as me which Mm. just goes to show how like you know (laughs) world of unicorns and rainbows that I live in (laughs) but we went in there and I was like okay so this is the budget this is what we've got this is coming in these are going to be the materials that are going to be sent to you every month we're going to have these flyers we're going to have these promotions we're going to this was before social media obviously um but I was super psyched about it I had one lady like stand up and go Missy, because I was 27, I was the youngest female franchisor in Australia. So I was very young Um, and I was younger than everybody that had bought franchises from me. And so there was one lady that obviously took a bit of an issue. I mean, she paid me a lot of money for the franchise and knew how old I was at the time. Mm. Anyway, she called me Missy and was like, what right do you have to take my money and decide how I'm going to spend it? And like yelled and pointed and went, I have the right, are you with me ladies? And she was just like, crazy town. And so I'm standing at the front of the room trying not to cry (laughs) as she was like arguing the merits of why we should spend the money on cereal box advertising. And so that was kind of where it started turning for me. And I was like, okay, so not everyone's going to agree with me. And when they disagree, they're going to have really strong opinions on that. And I've got to try and argue my side of things without ever arguing because yeah. you can't ever piss someone off as a franchisor. It's like all out. So that was kind of one of my biggest ones. The other myth that I will bust is everybody assumes you're making a fortune. Mm. Like everyone, I would go to conferences and be like, you know, we've got 120 staff and we've got 30 franchises and people would be like, holy moly, hey there. <laughs> you know? And oh my gosh, most of the time we were broke. Like it mm. cost 
so much money to run um, and I put so much money into development because I had such big plans. So we put mm. so much money into infrastructure and internal websites and systems and the external website, like everything cost so much and we had really good training managers and the wage bill was just like insane. And so it was like massive revelation to me that I, because I worked 12-hour days for years in, yeah. in getting that done and now the job I have and I work a lot less than that and earn so much more but people think oh you know she just has this little like side job at home cute yeah right <laughs> so Isn't the perception is weird. yeah perception so different to reality in both yeah. of those situations yeah wow yeah. and so you made a comment before I decided to give up and sell. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting way of viewing it, isn't it? But that clearly that's how you felt about it at the time. That Yeah, I remember I had, because um, at the end I really struggled mentally. And so I had adrenal fatigue. I got really, I gained a lot of weight. Mm. Um, and I was just, I started drinking and I was mm. just really struggling with how to cope when, because like a lot of women, I'm a classic people pleaser. And even having a couple of people mad at me perpetually just mm. broke my heart heart mm. over and over again. And so I went to see a really good psychologist um, and he gave me this analogy that was kind of the the catalyst for me going, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just, just part ways with this, was, you know, so often it's like we're on a tennis court and we're hitting the ball back and they're hitting it back and they're hitting it back and they're hitting it back and you're getting harder and harder and harder until someone gets the ball out and then it's like next game, next game. Because at any time though, you, you don't have to hit the ball back. You can put yeah. the racket down and walk off the Oh, sorry, I nearly swore. <laughs> and walk off the court. Yeah. And up until that moment, I don't think I'd ever been brave enough to actually consider that I could just walk off the court. Yeah. Yeah. And that was such a revelation for me to go, I actually don't have to keep slogging the ball back. Yeah. I can just go. <laughs> it's yep. okay. Yeah. 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 So, so selling for you was like this lifeline of getting your life back. That was yeah. the idea, was it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to come back to that in just one second, but before we do, I just want to finish rounding off this discussion about licensing and franchising yes. because I'm very interested in this experience because yeah. you've, well, and in fact, three worlds running, running the business itself, running a licensed business and then running a franchise. Um, so so when you reflect back onto that time, do you have any, uh, do, do you feel like you would have been better staying um, a, as a licensee? Um, oh. Sorry, licensor, actually. No, <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of milked. The journey, the journey was going to end, so I had to change directions with that. If it was nowadays, I would have just done, um, I would have gone online and mm. taught other people how to run tutoring businesses online was mm. what I would have done then. But 12 years ago, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what I wish I had have pioneered, like yeah. online learning and taught teachers around the world how to run their own tutoring businesses. Yeah, mm. that would have been like in hindsight the smart move to do. Um, but it was back in the day like where the only options are traditional business. Now we have so many different options with so much to do with technology and social media and the reach that we can get from our little rooms no matter where we are in the world. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that wasn't, wasn't really an option then. 
Okay, so do you have any advice then for our listeners who might be considering, you know, perhaps um, franchising their business or licensing their business? Yeah. Yeah, look, I don't want to turn people off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're positives. Yeah, the the positives are like it was still the greatest way to scale our business. It was Mm. a great decision to trial licensing before franchising because it ironed a lot of kinks out of the back end and gave me a total indication as to what people were looking for for the business side. So when we did start franchising, I knew exactly what to package and how to offer that. Um, And franchising was a great way to scale the business. I mean, we were in, you know, five different states around Australia and we we tutored so many different kids. I think we got up to like five and a half thousand kids a week that were coming through Mm -hmm. our centres and it was just, it felt beautiful. Um, But I would say you've got to be okay with not being liked. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. Like franchising is, there's even the Fra- Franchise Relationships Institute based out in Melbourne um, and they're so busy because so many people struggle with not being liked. Mm. Um, and the franchisors that I know that have been around for a long time and running the companies are okay with that or know when to step aside. So that mm. was, I got a board in the last year as well and that was really, we were looking at me either stepping aside or selling. So it, it came to a point where it goes, it's rare that a founder will grow a franchise past 50 sites by themselves. Mm. Usually mm. they'll get in a more experienced CEO that is good at scale but also doesn't take it so personally as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, so I think as a founder, you know, no one will do the startup better than a founder because mm. the heart in it is so good and so mm. necessary to get it off the ground. But then you've got to know when <laughs> your time's up. <laughs> got to know yeah. when time. Yeah, 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 which is back to that discussion yeah. we were having before. So then you said you had an option between mm. um, having someone else running the business yeah. and exiting the business. Yes. Maybe can you talk about that thought process, yeah. process for you at that time? Yeah, so we, we seriously went down that road. We looked at getting investment and getting a CEO and a management team in and doing all of that. Um, And it came down to would I disconnect from it? Um, Would I be able to let go a bit of that control and just let someone do their thing and step aside? And I, in the end, the decision was if I'm going to step aside, I may as well cash out um, and get that now rather than risk someone taking it in a direction that I don't want to. And I knew I would be like a classic micromanager because even oh, you know, like I used to have this pet peeve. I've still got this pet peeve. If anyone ever sends me an email with like kind regards on it and I'm like, no, no, (laughs) there's no regards or kind regards. Like we're like, thank you. Oh, no, I think that could be on my my email sign-off, so I apologise right now, Tina. I mean, you are in law, so you're forgiven for that because it's such a lawyer thing to do. But I'm like, I used to, back in Begin Bright days, I would sign off my emails with sparkles and sunshine. And so, like, I was really picky on everything because everything carried across the brand and the perception. And so I knew that if I was going to let go of that, I had to not look. I had to be, there was no, like, one foot in, one foot out for me. Yeah. I either had to be all in or or move on. And so that's why we thought we'll see what happens if we put it on the market and we put it on the market and it sold really, really quickly. Um, and so it was kind of just done. So let's talk about that process then. Mm. So you you were not even, it sounds like, not even entirely sure that this was the right way to go. Mm. We'll just yeah. we'll throw it on the market and, and we'll give it a run. Yeah. Um, 
how did you spend any time preparing the business for sale before you yeah i should i should caveat with that the business was always built to sell Mm. so right from the very beginning um i knew i wasn't going to do it forever i wanted to do it to 100 sites Mm. That was the goal that I had stuck in my mind and then I was going to reassess them. So we had kind of set everything and that was why it was so expensive too. Like we had PricewaterhouseCoopers as accountants and like everything Mm. was so fancy schmancy hunky-dory in the back end so that when it did come time to sell that it looked respectable for a a big company to acquire us because it was always done. It wasn't done like a backyard small business kind of thing. Which is very, very clever, very clever. Yeah. And when you say the business was always built to sell, can you tell us what you mean by that? So we talked about the accountants, but yeah. but but what else? What yeah, what did so that look like? Everything um, in terms of like everything was top, top quality. Everything was very conscious to, I built the brand with, personal brand using a lot of it, but always under the business brand name, if that makes Mm, sense. So mm. I would promote the business and do all of that, but it was always standing alone on its own. Mm, mm. Um, So I did that a lot. What else made the big difference in doing that? The way we structured it uh, in terms of company setup, the way I paid myself as an employee. We had a board, we had minutes, we had records of everything. I systemized the crap out of everything. I was Um, going to say that must have been an element. Of course, you would have required that for franchising. Yeah, even down to everything that I did. So my thing always was, I think when we got up to like five or six franchises, like sale for me was such a pie in the sky sort of thing but why I started getting into like being a systems nut was people were giving me their life savings to start a franchise Mm. and I thought this whole business relies on me if something happens tomorrow and I get hit by a bus or something happens to my kids Mm. I had a friend whose son got brain cancer and Mm. she just left life which is totally I'm like I would literally just you wouldn't see me until my child was well again. And I'm going, Mm. I can't afford to run a company like this and do that. And so the whole purpose of creating all of our systems was that so I could disappear tomorrow and Mm. everyone would know what to do. Brilliant. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law, where we, of course, talked with Tina Tower all about her experience in starting, growing, licensing and then finally franchising her business and of course we really busted some myths today um, and looked at franchising and licensing with some very clear lenses rather than just the rose colored glasses that many people who launch into this approach to business can often be wearing i just love tina's warts and all approach to looking at all of this but ultimately All of Tina's work and sacrifice in building and growing this business led to her outcome of being able to make a fabulous exit. And while that had some of its own lessons along the way, which we cover in our sister podcast, The Deal Room, and hint, you'll find a link to The Deal Room podcast and Tina Towers episode on that podcast in your show notes. So Tina got to the point where she felt that she was really needing to exit the business. Uh, I think it's such a great story of what she built along the way prior to that exit and a really great point that Tina 
made um, in our discussion, which you may recall was that the business was always built to sell. And I think that's a really important takeaway from today's podcast um, episode with Tina Tower. So as I said, if you want to hear more um, of my discussion with Tina in relation to how the exit took place and what that looked like, then head over to the Deal Room podcast. But otherwise, if you would like to find out how you can contact Tina Tower herself, then just head down to our show notes where you'll be able to link through straight to her or head over to our website where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. And of course, on our website, you will also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you'd like help with any of the items we covered today, or if indeed you're thinking about licensing or franchising into the future and you want to make sure those foundations of your business are set up correctly and in particular some of the brand protection elements that are just so important in this licensing and franchising environment. Well that's it I just want to say a massive thank you to you for listening in today and of course to Tina Tower for being so gracious as to give us her time talking all about her experience in building, growing and selling her businesses. If you would like to hear more of this style of podcast, then all you have to do is head to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And maybe if you also feel so inclined, you might consider leaving us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.